0: History of Youth Ministry. Session Overview. Historical View of Youth. Global Youth Culture and North American Historical Definitions of Youth. Cycles of Youth Ministry in North America. History of Nazarene Youth Ministry. Application, Exam, Discussion Guide for Mentor and Participants. Learner Objectives. At the end of the session, you should be able to recognize the historical influences of youth and young adults, identify Sunday school as one of the beginning points of youth ministry, recognize several 19th century youth ministries, particularly Christian endeavor societies, as the forerunner of contemporary youth groups, review 20th century North American youth ministry developments, including congressionally based young people societies, Parachurch youth clubs, as well as see youth ministry as a maturing academic discipline and Christian norm. Understand the beginnings of the Nazarene Youth International, NYI, and its commitment to purity, mission, scripture, and youth empowerment. Introduction. This session will help youth ministers understand the historical origin of youth ministry, particularly within the Church of the Nazarene in order to effectively draft a Nazarene Youth International (NYI) ministry plan in accordance with the NYI Charter. Historical View of Youth Most people live roughly in a 100- 100 to 120-year-old historical box. In other words, our historical awareness of how life functions remains shaped by roughly three generations of human knowledge and experience. When we are born, we rely on our parents' and grandparents' generations for their understanding of history and how the world should work. As we grow older and grandparents pass away, we replace distant history with our own experiences and later that of our children in understanding how things should work. Unless we take time to cultivate a larger view of history, we remain limited by our assumptions, sometimes repeating mistakes of the past or struggling with the unexamined expectations of others. However, when we turn to a better understanding of our historical roots, we find resources not only for understanding, but for inspiration as youth ministers. Before discussing the history of youth ministry, you must recognize you have to deal with youth. The concept of youth remains an elusive topic in history, the age Joseph Kett defines as semi-dependence, where young people live in a world neither fully dependent on adults nor fully independent as contributors to society. While biblical studies of children and the family have grown in recent years, specific studies of youth or young adults remain limited, perhaps for good reason, since one of the earliest biblical accounts of youth or young adults may well be Deuteronomy 2118-21, where parents are given permission to punish disobedient sons by stoning them to death. Nevertheless, one does find evidence of youth, and even youth culture, at different points in history. In pre-industrial Europe, poor youth did not qualify to inherit their family's meagre farms. Instead, they found themselves forced to wander the countryside or move to town. As wanderers, these young people, mainly boys, often banded together through apprenticeships or other groups in Britain, Germany, and France, until they reached some sense of professional competence or economic independence. While elusive, there does seem to be a relationship between young people who are no longer children, but not quite adults, and the culture they live within. Seeing our concept of youth tied to culture and history allows us to understand how the same concept may be understood differently in different global settings. For instance, in some African settings and other global contexts, young people do not advance to adulthood until marriage regardless of age. Rather than fixing a strict age level to this category, one must pay attention to the specific historical and cultural expectations, asking how the Church can best minister to a group of people who live in the transition between childhood and adulthood. Global Youth Culture and North American Historical Definitions of Youth For all of the local emphasis on cultural expectation of youth, one finds a global youth culture exported with similar norms and expectations communicated primarily through media. This youth culture seems to be primarily a Western export, including some of the popular ideas concerning the nature of youth ministry. Recognizing this prevalent, albeit primarily North American, view of youth and youth ministry, Youth ministers may find it instructive to explore how these concepts surfaced out of their historical circumstances. Believe it or not, the age of adolescence has not always been a part of historical study. Until the end of the 19th century, children went through the teenage years, but these years were largely viewed either the end of childhood or the beginning of adulthood. The time for transition was generally quite short, though recognizable even in Christian circles for less than desirable reasons. For instance, young people were often blamed for spiritual or moral decline by older generations during the foundation of the United States, making them primary targets of many revival campaigns in later periods. The primary discovery of youth as adolescents occurred around the turn of the 20th century, There were many social factors that influenced the development of adolescence as a specific developmental and social age, specifically the rise of the industrial era, when fewer young people were needed to work, the creation of mandatory public school systems that provided a new social setting, and the rise of economic wealth that turned young people into consumers. Chief among these influences was the work of social scientist G. Stanley Hall. Hall, who was heavily influenced by the ideas of evolutionist Charles Darwin, applied the scientific biological aspects of Darwin's views to the study of adolescent development. By 1904, Hall's study affirmed the belief heredity interacts with environmental influences to determine the individual's development. He asserted adolescence defined a time of storm and stress in a person's life where conflict abounds. Hall's definition of youth, combined with other social influences, created a historical and cultural view of a distinct age level, or youth subculture, recognized today. The post-World War II concept of teenager did not surface until 1941 in a popular science magazine. Throughout the 20th century, young people in the U.S. stayed in school longer delayed life decisions like marriage and vocation, and gained greater consumer influence due to the economic generosity of their parents. The idea of young people struggling to make the longer transition from childhood to adulthood was a part of the social fabric of Western society. While explaining why adolescents don't act like adults, Ron Kotesky states one reason is the self-fulfilling prophecy that young people act irresponsible, immature, etc., because that is what adults expect of them. If we take this idea seriously, what should be the expectations of the church for adolescents? Perhaps some clues surface from the history of youth ministry in the same context, North America. Cycles of Youth Ministry in North America If one chooses a logical beginning point for ministry with youth, at least in Western culture, one could begin with Robert Reiki's circa 1780 to 1786, creation of the Sunday School in England. While normally associated with ministry to younger children, there is evidence Reiki's ministry would have included older children that today would be considered early and middle adolescence starting in the 18th century, may seem like an arbitrary point to begin. However, the rise of Sunday school marked the beginning of a special parachurch ministry that spread throughout North America, and marked a special emphasis on providing Christian education to children and youth alike. Just as many recent ideas about youth emerge from North American soil, so do many assumptions concerning the nature of youth ministry. A historical overview of these efforts may prove helpful for understanding the assumptions and expressions of youth ministry in other cultures. If you look throughout history, there are historical patterns that seem evident. The same proves true of youth ministry. In 1992, Mark Center wrote The Coming Revolution in Youth Ministry, where he details three historical cycles and speculates about the start of a new fourth cycle. Each cycle lasts approximately 50 years, and every cycle follows the same pattern. For the first 20 to 30 years of the youth movement, there was an excitement and constant innovation which drove it forward in attempts to reach young people for Christ. Then, around year 30, something happened. Stagnation began to characterize the movement, and increasingly did so for the next 20 years, while the movement's earlier momentum and good reputation carried it along. Finally, a crisis happened, and there was no longer a way to disguise the fact the movement was bankrupt. Cycle 1. Expansion and Interventions. 1824 to 1875. The first cycle of youth ministry in North America was deeply influenced by the rise of the modern era called the Enlightenment, which placed heavy emphasis on human reason and questioned religious convictions. Families in the U.S. experienced fragmentation due to Western expansion and the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which altered the pattern of people's lives and the way they earned a living. The national struggle over the issue of slavery also challenged and divided youth during this era. In response to these changing social conditions, the American Sunday School Union, 1785 to 1830, started out by trying to place a Sunday school in 4,500 new locations throughout the Southeast US. Sunday school became the most widely spread agency for working with youth. However, they soon fell into a rut, having organized more new Sunday schools than there was adequate leadership. In addition, young people also benefited from the new young men's and women's Christian associations. The YMCA, London 1844, USA 1851, and YWCA, London 1855, USA 1858, tried to fill voids young people faced. The purpose of these parachurch agencies was to help young people retain their Christian commitments after they moved into urban jungles, where jobs were available. This led to a huge revival that swept the U.S. between 1857 and 1859. In addition, a number of other movements took strong root during this time. Singing schools, 1717, served as the forerunner of the gospel music tradition, young people's missionary societies, circa 1790s and temperance unions which opposed the use of alcohol circa 1820s two key crises seemed to stop the cycle the first was the civil war 1861 to 1865 where over 600,000 soldiers died half of them teenagers the second was the birth and support by taxation of the public high school 1875 this public movement helped to completely change the nation's definition of youth. The discovery of adolescence, from a legal perspective and an educational point of view, meant youth work would have to change. It should be noted, the various agencies and grassroots movements of the first cycle still existed at the end of the 20th century. Singing schools have become church choirs, Temperance unions have been succeeded by Students Against Drunk Driving Societies. Young People's Missionary Societies are now agencies like Youth with a Mission and Teen Mission. Sunday schools have become places for students to socialize and learn in the church. Only the YMCA and YWCA seemed to shift their emphasis away from Christian support. Cycle 2. The Period of Accountability. 1881 to 1925. The second cycle surfaced as cities and urban living replaced rural life. By 1920, 73% of people in the U.S. had non-agricultural-related jobs. With the Industrial Revolution in full swing, the Mechanicus... The mechanization of farm equipment and creation of factory assembly lines made it possible to carry out tasks once performed solely by human labor. This had a direct impact on young people, who often tended simple machines until automated, and efficient machines made this type of labor unnecessary. Also, 25 million people immigrated to the U.S. between 1900 and 1920, and limited work options. Education became the norm for youth as high school graduates increased from 6.4% in 1900 to 60% by 1956. Isolated from work, public schools provided an institutional context where youth were given a new social role and set of psychological tasks. New movements surfaced to reach young people. Francis E. Clark founded the Society for Christian Endeavor, 1881, built on the idea of accountability. Students signed a pledge to be present at every meeting and at least once a month to give an accounting of their spiritual progress. Though each society was under the authority of a host church and pastor, the international conventions, regional conferences, and area-wide rallies brought an interdenominational flavor to the movement. Fearing a loss of denominational identity and loyalty, Denominations created their own youth society, and began producing appropriate literature. The societies were so popular, they were adopted by many churches and denominations, like the Luther League and Epworth League Methodist, as church-related youth groups. Into this setting stepped the first professional youth workers, employed by denominations who traveled from site to site, to oversee and give guidance to the local ministry. Soon, these independent Christian movements began to lose their influence over middle-class young people. Instead, new youth associations surfaced, circa 1910, like Boy and Girl Scouts, Campfire Girls, 4-H Clubs, and Boys Clubs of America. While not associated with churches, the groups shared an ethic based on a Judeo-Christian heritage, these groups emphasized wholesome activities designed to build character in boys and girls. Since these groups required free time and discretionary monies in order to participate, the youth movements of the second cycle remained solidly middle class. The second cycle ended due to the expansion of the public education. While the youth movements remained largely static in design, public high schools made radical changes. By the 1929-1930 school years, nearly 5 million students were enrolled in secondary schools. School curriculum changed as well. There was less emphasis placed on religion and more on socially relevant courses. Science and specifically evolution increasingly began to take its place in the curriculum. The school, rather than the church, had now become the focal point of the community. Conservative Christians, bristling over the Scopes evolution trial (1925), withdrew from the general public and sought to develop their own communities of support. Cycle three: reaching youth for Christ, 1935 to 1987. The Great Depression in the United States (1929 to 1941) caused young people to move from thinking about fun to thinking about survival. At the height of the Depression, more than 250,000 teenagers were living on the road in America. In addition, more and more students stayed in school longer due to the scarcity of jobs. In the meantime, religious instruction was being removed from the public school, which left a vacuum of religious and moral instruction. Finally, the advent of World War II, 1939 to 1945, sent many leaders to serve in the war, and often youth ministries simply ceased to exist. However, the war created a crusade spirit, and as former leaders of youth ministry returned home, they carried with them the idea they had saved the world politically and militarily. Now they would endeavor to save it spiritually. Several new movements surfaced to reach young people. A number of independent Youth for Christ associations, circa 1940, began during the Depression and war years. As World War II came to a close, America was ready to celebrate. Ten years of Depression, followed by six years of war, had put a damper on the nation. All that was needed was an excuse to enjoy life a bit and some organizational know-how. Youth for Christ, YFC, provided both. Jack Wurtzen and Billy Graham were most responsible for the Saturday Night Rallies, which became their primary method to reach youth. In the 1960s, Campus Life, a branch of YFC, adopted a two-part approach to reaching teens— insight meetings for discipleship purposes and impact meetings for evangelism. Jim Rayburn founded Young Life 1941, with mass rallies similar to YFC but soon scrapped them in favor of a club- and camp-based strategy. Soon, Campus Life and many other groups adopted this model. For instance, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, 1954, influenced athletes at all levels using huddles, small groups, as well as conferences and camps to present the gospel. Campus Crusade, 1966, started with college ministries and moved to high school ministries called Student Venture, which had a primary emphasis on discipleship through small groups. Once again, denominations felt the need to maintain their identity and loyalty among students by creating programs that rivaled the parachurch organizations. This cycle began to end with the rise of the professional youth worker. As servicemen returned from the war, they wanted to make a difference and often went into the ministry. Thousands of people went into professional youth ministry largely in response to the initial baby boom of new children born between 1945 and 1965. Unfortunately, volunteer youth workers felt either obsolete or second-class citizens. New organizations, like Youth Specialties and Group. 1968-1974, were instrumental in helping local churches adopt the ideas of Young Life, YFC, Campus Crusade, and the other clubs. These organizations initiated national and local training, such as extended efforts through publishing. It would be easy to say these factors breathed new life into the local youth group. Actually, the opposite is true. The youth specialties and group phenomenon merely allowed an increasing number of youth ministers to communicate more effectively to an ever-decreasing population. It may be the last gas before the death of the third cycle. Cycle 4 Emerging Youth Ministry 1990 A shift A shift in the way young people think, called postmodern thinking, and a loss of influence by current approaches to youth ministry signal new forces that influence this next cycle. Postmodernism may be a difficult term to define, but the concept describes both certain contemporary perspectives and cultural tendencies. Due to rapid technological changes and many different cultural influences, Young people have a greater tolerance for ambiguity, multiple interpretations of a given situation, and openness to new ideas. In the meantime, church and parachurch ministry methods do not seem to be reaching students in North American context. Youth ministers will begin to look for new approaches to youth ministry and means of reaching the community, much like parachurch ministries did in the last cycle. What will this cycle look like? There are some clues. First, in light of diverse global cultures, youth ministry will require leaders from those cultures to stand up and create ministry which caters to ethnic groups. With more youth in cities, urban and suburban links will be vital in breeding new strategies for youth ministry. Evangelism will tend to focus more on small groups than massive rallies, and even one-on-one evangelism, Worship and prayer appear to be more important to youth today, yet ministry may well occur outside traditional church settings, much like previous movements, where many innovative ideas surface. Lay leadership seems to be on the rise, with the professional youth minister serving more as a trainer of adults who do the hands-on ministry. Many of these new professional youth ministers will also be women, who already account for more than one-third of the youth ministers in local churches in North America. While all aspects of the fourth cycle of youth ministry remain unknown, youth leaders around the world recognize changes will occur in the coming years. Our challenge will be to greet these new innovations while relating them to the history we know in the Church of the Nazarene. History of Nazarene Youth Ministry NYI Global Director Gary Hartke's February 2005 report, The Organizational History of Nazarene Youth International in the USA, provides a helpful overview of the history of youth ministry in the denomination. Drawing from a number of helpful resources, his synopsis provides a helpful understanding of the history and future of the global NYI. Hartke notes, youth ministry began in the very first Church of the Nazarene, founded in 1895 by Phineas Breezy in Los Angeles, California. By 1903, there were two youth ministries entitled Company E and the Brotherhood of St. Stephen, offered to the young people in Breezy's church. Company E included young ladies, who met on Friday evenings to study the Word, engage in united and intercessory prayer, Testimonies, and Evangelism. Members of the groups served for a verse that would represent their desire to live what they described as the higher Christian life. The two groups ultimately agreed on a theme verse. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12 K.J. These young people of Company E and the Brotherhood of St. Stephen wore a badge which consisted of a Maltese cross with 1 Timothy 4.12 engraved into it. The young men and women wore this badge as a visual reminder of their commitment to live the higher Christian life. In 1907, the leadership of the Church of the Nazarene began what would be a 15-year journey of a general youth ministry by the creation of a 14-member committee on young people. These early expressions of Nazarene youth ministry begin to explain how young people and the vision of holiness and missional outreach continue throughout the history of the Church of the Nazarene, At times, efforts to reach and disciple youth fell behind a largely adult effort at evangelism and church consolidation, but never for long. At times, youth ministry became the central setting for ministerial leadership training in the Church of the Nazarene and the location for innovation and new expressions of organization for the sake of ministry from the inception of the Nazarene Young People Society NYPS, in 1923, to the establishment of Nazarene Youth International, NYI, in 1977. By 2001, NYI ratified a charter and ministry plans. The charter provided the foundation for youth ministry globally. The ministry plans provided a standard local, district, and regional ministry plan. Instructions were included to enable each level to modify the plans resulting in more effective ministry. In addition to clear lines of accountability to the local congregation, NYI was empowered with a degree of flexibility to make ministry more effective and charged with three particular ministry responsibilities—evangelism, discipleship, and lay leadership. The result of the newly ratified charter and ministry plan marked significant changes at the global and local level. Application 1. Identify the historical movements that still influence your current youth ministry. What changes do you see occurring that might signal a start of a fourth cycle? Two. Develop a sound plan for youth ministry that includes both a biblical and theological foundation, as well as a historical appreciation of the expectations of any youth ministry. 3. Review your local youth ministry setting in light of the history of NYI, Charter, and Ministry Plan. How would you assess the ministry, and what improvements might you suggest? Discussion Guide for Mentor and Participant. Be prepared to discuss the following with your mentor. 1. What is your definition of youth or young adult? Is there another word in your community or culture that is preferred? What ages do you typically assign to this category? Why? 2. How do adults in your church define youth? Why? How do people in your congregation know who belongs in the youth group? 3. Do you agree with Kett's definition of semi-independence for youth? How do you react to the statement, while explaining why adolescents don't act like adults, Ron Ketsky states one reason is the self-fulfilling prophecy, namely, that young people act irresponsible, immature, etc., because that is what adults expect of them. Four. How would you define the historical forces that now influence youth ministry? Where do you see signs of new forms of youth ministry that will shape the future?